0: sweating lunatic iggy pop with the passenger and this is football unfocused uh the weekly rambling uh, attempt to discuss stuff around football with me uh, my name is mark and him his name is matthew isn't that right matthew <laughs> it
1: is that is right that is M- your name mark yeah yes, that's good
0: right. this is a men's occasion um listeners Millions of you, because this is the last <laughs> podcast we will be recording. When Matthew, um, you can hear the, you know, the, the, the <laughs> oh, what's what's the word I'm looking for? The, the innocence in his young thirty-something <laughs> voice. But next week he will be a chiselled, cynical forty-something. So <laughs> know. lap it up while you can, because he it will there will be a noticeable change. There'll be no more sort of bursts of laughter like a machine
1: gun uh, no. coming through. It will just be. Um, what was that American right-wing commentator? It's like not Rush, uh, Rushman.
0: Oh uh, no, um, no, it's Rush Limber or something. Isn't Rush it? Limber L- yeah, something. Bar, yeah, Rush, Bar, Bar, yeah. Bar, Limber. some, some yeah. arsehole Anyway,
1: yeah, that's who I like. That I other one
0: is that is that fat bastard who um, believes all the conspiracy. He peddles all the conspiracy theories. Oh, Alex, some what? yeah, something. Alex Cenarola, Jones, yeah. Alex Jones, yeah. Yeah, sweat. Right. <laughs> uh Matthew, just just quickly we'll rattle through uh any update on your uh, on your bollocks or athlete's foot? Uh
1: I think yeah, the, I mean the the athlete's foot is ongoing ongoing is improved, probably improved slightly, but not mm. not notable amount. Not worth no you know, referencing on the podcast. Not worth least. commenting and... to the uh, podcast <laughs> world. Yeah. No. Um the the bollocks situation is <laughs> Um, so I had, a, I had, a. the GP rang me last Friday yeah, and he blown. was asking me about it. Um, I don't know what he was getting at, but he was sort of inferring, he, he was asking whether I was, if I was sexually active and, you know, whether I was with the same person or not, you know. Ah, so he was saying did, that it did, was a result like... of promiscuity. <laughs> promiscuity. You're putting yeah. about so much that your ballsackers decided to sort of it...
0: contort and... <laughs> Itself into oblivion. I knew what it
1: heard. Yeah. So, yeah. so basically, I've got, uh, I gave a pee sample and I've also been referred for a um, an ultrasound. But I don't right. know when I'll go for it. So, that'll be in the hospital, that one.
0: Well, hopefully, Matthew, that but is I, just a case of covering, ev- you know, just covering cov- all the bases. Covering
1: and all <laughs> both bases. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, yeah, so I went, I went in to pick up the sample pot on Monday from the GP. And I hadn't been before. And I'd gone in and then I said, oh, I couldn't remember the name of the GP rang me. So I sort of said, is this the GP for so-and-so? I couldn't remember. And they were, no, they don't work here. And I was like, oh no, have I got the wrong place? And then they said a name that sounded a bit like the GP that I had. And I said, oh, I think that's it. And I said, I'm just here for a, to give a sample. That's all I want. And she was like, OK, fine, fine. And then just got the pot out. But I thought it was a bit odd that they didn't really sort of take any details. They were just quite happy to hand out samples. Don't take anyone's to- piss. Mm. <laughs> yeah.
0: I just like to yeah. see fresh piss. Uh- <laughs> I think Matthew, so, uh, you created a bit of. A, if yeah. I may be so bold, you created an unnecessary level of confusion there. Because the way, rather than trying to, mem- I mean, first of all, if you're going if to, it, if it relies on you to memorise the doctor, memorise it, maybe even write it down and take it with you, uh, if that's going to be a challenge. <laughs> you know just a bit of advice there but uh but, but you could have approached it in a completely different way you could have just turned up and said hello my name is Matthew I'm a new patient I've never been to this surgery before I'm here to give a urine sample could you point me in the right direction of where I need to go I only registered this week and I don't know the name of my doctor and then they would have totally understood. <laughs> yeah. R- rather instead you probably stood there looking confused and uh what, you, were, I don't know, you just yeah. emerged but from that's the why you work
1: in cells and you're you're quite you're quite good at Drawing the information
0: out of people you need. Well, Matthew, that's not true. I'm now a, a an entrepreneur and company director, so I, I don't, I don't, I have, I'm multi-role now. I have spread my wings. <laughs>
1: yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yes,
0: yeah. Matthew. Uh, well, let's move on. But do keep us updated on that on a serious note. Maybe, and, and if anything gets bleak, you know, maybe <laughs> you and I should just catch up on it, uh, not on a live recording. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> um, Matthew. Matthew, what's the last the last book you read?
1: Uh, it was. <laughs> this is. So, it wasn't one that I chosen. It was one Joe said I should read. It Didn't was, ask you when he uh, chose it. I, I said think, it's a very simple question. I know, but what's the last book you read? It's because it's uh, the Old Man and the Sea, um, right. and it's Hemingway. I can't remember his first name now. get
0: mm-hmm. awesome. you reading Ernest Hemingway? I know. Yeah. I knew, well, that's it. I knew are? you were going to react like that. Uh, and, Who but it, do you think you are?
1: He yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, probably it, went it, to
0: that it, Oxbridge think... University, wherever that is. Yeah. <laughs> yes!
1: <laughs> yeah. That's where I um, went. Yeah! Oh no, I've just checked. He was a state school, so uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there won't be much chance of him becoming BBC uh, DG. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was, on, um, that was on this time with Adam Partridge, wasn't it? Yeah.
1: yeah. <clears throat> okay.
0: I don't need any more context. I'm not interested in why no. you're reading the book. You seemed almost ashamed about reading the book, I mean, it's, which is weird, because that's a, I mean, I'm sure it's a great book. It's by Ernest Hemingway. It is. One of the, Ernest. Yes, thank you. One of yes, the 20th no, century's most uh, renowned writers. And Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, drinker, it was very indeed, good, wasn't he? Wasn't he a bit of a hellraiser? Spent a lot of time uh, in Havana, right. I believe.
1: Yeah, well it was based in Cuba, the the story. Yeah, yeah. Matthew, (laughs) do
0: you ever wear a hat?
1: Like a baseball cap.
0: Matthew, do you ever wear a hat? It's a simple
1: question. Yeah, so I wear woolly hats quite frequently. That's a hat. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, but I don't wear baseball caps. I think that's a different type. I mean do you want to spend this time listing all the other types of hats you don't wear? Panamas, fedoras, <laughs> pork pies, <laughs> flat. What?
1: Yeah. What's the? I'm assuming phase? you don't go
0: around in a cricket helmet either. But you know, you don't have to literally mention. <laughs> yeah. just, I asked you a very simple question: Do you ever wear? Okay. You said yes. You wear woolly hats in the cold. Yeah, actually.
1: woolly hats. Quite. Well, yeah, it's a bit cold up north. Mm.
0: Well, you wore it wearing them when you were down here. I've seen you in a woolly hat many, many times in the London. Oh. River. <laughs> yeah. I think it's part of
1: my get-up. That's kind of my, mm, I don't know, my calling card. Your cars.
0: extraordinary look, Matthew. <laughs> final question, Matthew, for this uh, for this particular week. Matthew, you're a vegan, famously. Some might call you a trailblazer, <laughs> a trailblazer for the uh, the vegan uh, cause. Of the uh, <laughs> vegan milk options, of which I include the likes of almond, coconut, and oat. What is your favourite vegan milk?
1: Well, it depends. It probably depends a little bit on what it's going on, um, but, but but I guess a, a foul safe is generally oat, um, mm. and it's also it has the lowest. This is so <clears throat> it has the lowest kind of um, impact on the environment, whereas soy has a little bit more. Although it should be pointed out that all milk alternatives have far less impact on the environment than dairy
0: milk. Of course, they um, do. But, I think people who yeah. people who people who have a vested interest in supporting the the farming establishment, well, it's a bit like you know Tories do this a lot. If you ask ask a question of them, they'll they'll sort of you know <laughs> twist it around and say, "Well, it was no different when you you know, and all that sort of stuff." Um, you wouldn't yeah. do any different. We'd still be in European Medicines Agency if it wasn't for you. That sort of bollocks. <laughs> um, and they'll sort of try and find some environmental scandal around the, the growing of almonds or something, which does have its problems, yeah. but it's nothing compared yeah, yeah, yeah. to the um, to the issues around uh, dairy farm. Interesting, Matthew. Very good. Um, that I just want is. to say quickly before we move on to the to the to the football content that uh, your revelation last week that you do uh, between eight and nine wash loads. Um, per week in a house of just two of you and no children has caused ripples of um, reaction. Uh, um, really, I've received a message this morning from a mutual friend of ours, um, who once again I will protect his identity and call him um, um, Hames Pavalero, uh, and he uh, Hames Pavalero um, was Hames just. Hames, astan- he me. Well, that's because you are the uh, really you, you're the you're the content, um, and 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 it's, a, it's up to others to sit around and talk about the content. Um, but it has been it has been mooted that we possibly discuss your uh, extraordinarily wasteful and profligate use of wash loads uh, the next time we meet, and really get to the bottom of why you're having to wash your clothes so frequently. It can either be uh, self-soiling, uh, in, in an issue that you have <laughs> prol- prolific self-soiling. Uh, or it, it could be that you're just, you're just being redi- uncharacteristically um, uh, wasteful with your energy and, and just putting about two items in each, uh, in each drum. So, But don't <laughs> reveal it now, Matthew. We'll save that for when we have the pleasure no. of being in your company uh, the next time. So, Matthew... It's funny because I don't... Yeah, go on, go on. No, go don't. on, go on. It's funny because we don't what?
1: Well, no, because you, you, I, I often wear this... You, I've had that... I remember once I sent you a picture of myself uh, in Ireland... <laughs> And it was outside... Keep the, that between the you and I, Matthew. The st- <laughs> yeah, and, uh, it was outside Stormont. And it was, you know, me on top of a bus, outside Stormont, you know, kind of smiling and waving. And then you just wrote back and you said, you're still wearing that fucking red jumper you've had for the last five years. Yeah, no, no longer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't. And it was just, um, the, the point was that um, I don't have that many clothes. So it is, I guess, no. a bit odd that... Which is—it's so incredible.
0: I mean. You must—you must have some um, extraordinarily good quality uh, clothing <laughs> uh, fibers because you're washing them at a ludicrous rate, <laughs> and yet they still survive inexplicably. It's incredible.
1: Well, somehow, yeah,
0: yeah. You want to get in contact with Purcell. You could be some sort of lead researcher um, and uh, okay. brand ambassador. Brand ambassador, yeah. Lack of waste, but at the same time, <laughs> chronic waste of you know water and other sort of detergents. Matthew. <laughs> Matthew. Uh, now, obviously, there's a lot of shit going on in the world at the moment. We are, we try and I try, I try and make this a light-hearted and not not a sort of po-faced uh, podcast that takes itself too seriously. But I guess there are times when it's difficult, really, to avoid uh, t- touching on certain issues. And football in a, in a scenario like this is a um, is a is an unimportant and peripheral um, concern uh, when, you know, people are having their 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 towns and cities encircled by tanks of the second largest army in the world and a, and a, and a, and a nuclear, um, you know, master. Uh, and it is really terrifying and. Um, but there has nevertheless been sig- some significant knock-on effects in the last week since uh, uh, Putin's uh, crazy, uh, deranged behaviour um, started manifesting itself. And I suspect that they they will continue to be, or there will continue to be, some um, quite dramatic, in a sporting sense, consequences. Um, and I'm just finding it... Really interesting because I think a couple of them have really kind of um, opened up. I su- well, I suppose opened up a, a, can, a, a quite a predictable can of worms that many people with an interest in football over the last twenty years could have essentially or, or have been essentially predicting to do with the dangers of essentially opening yourself up to this unregulated Uber capitalist kind of Thatcherite model of how you run football it really began with the beginning of the, the Premier League I remember um, you know, David Dean one of the you know a man who actually there's great reasons to respect him for his achievements at Arsenal but he was nevertheless a, a sort of rabid Thatcherite and he um, um, was so kind of against regulation any type of regulation at every stage and this 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 idea that the market always knows best and you end up in, in a scenario then when you're if you continue to create a high value product that is attractive to people with money from all over the world and you seem like an environment um, whereby investments are safe and secure and could we possibly say an ideal um, uh, breeding ground for laundering, then um, then really you are going to get people, all sorts of different people from all sorts of um, um, uh, questionable states investing in your in your football and one you know the premier league um and football in general has to be one of the most successful brands that this country has ever produced everywhere in the world our football is the the kind of you know either number one or or in the in the top two or three most watched uh, leagues but you know the the, the shirt sales the the yeah, the popularity of the players and the clubs and all of that um, but you know, when you look at Chelsea, and, t- and we're recording this on the day where it appears Roman Abramovich is now trying to sell Chelsea at the same time as he's trying to desperately sell and get the best possible price for his various mansions in the um, Knightsbridge area and all the other means by which he's been laundering money since uh, 2003 when he brought Chelsea. And you just think it's bit. <laughs> football will always be fickle to a certain extent because the primary concern, it's escapism for people. So maybe things that would bother them in their everyday life, if their business they were working for were taken over by certain types of people or whatever, doesn't bother them if it means that on a Saturday or a Sunday or whatever, they can go and watch their team being bankrolled by billions of pounds that they don't have to worry about kind of where it came from that makes them exciting to watch and and successful. But, there, you know, and it does sound like you're now just going to have a go at Chelsea and use this as an opportunity to kind of um, um, revel in the, the issues that they may might well now face. But it, it's bigger than that. It's an it's a window into why it's so kind of dangerous and, and how further problems could very easily um, arise. And it's actually quite surprising that this is the first really big one. But, you know, you've got to ask yourself... When he turned up, when Abramovich turned up and brought Chelsea in the first place, everyone knew that, 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 that the reason he got his money is because he was ideally placed to essentially steal, you know, it, it is steal. There's no point messing around with this. It was stealing state assets that was previously in a, in a, in a communist regime owned by everybody and taking it all for himself, resources that were that were previously millions of people, you know, had a theoretical stake in. All of a sudden, he he was able, you know, in a powerful and and kind of knowledgeable and capable enough situation to snaffle it all up for himself, become one of the world's richest people, and then use vanity projects like buying a football club in West London as an opportunity to um, legitimise himself and launder money, and Chelsea's rise as a club um has been essentially built on um on that on that money and it is you know this is the pe- the money of the you know that was previously the the um possession of the people of the you know the the the, the peasants in russia and no it is it has really felt that anyone kind of shat- barbing on about this over the last 20 years has been accused of kind of sour grapes so you know you'd be happy if they brought your club those same sort of tactics that we were talking about before that always people always say oh you, you would be, you'd be quite happy if it was yours and uh, you're just jealous and all that sort of stuff but you know and it is only by the grace of God to be honest that, that you know I mean the club that I support Liverpool we just happen to be owned by legitimate business people from a democratic country that is not, you know, of the United States, which is not, by the way, by any means perfect, but it is it, it thankfully isn't a country with uh, a dictatorship that roll tanks into a neighbouring country without any consequences. You only have to look at the, you know, the furore the around the, um, you know, the Gulf War, the the Iraq invasion of 2003 uh, over here and in America, and the way in which that is now, you know, just across the board, accepted as an abomination, a disaster, strategic disaster, humanitarian disaster, um, and a uh, a shameful kind of, you know, built on a on a on a web of lies, um, and a stain on our history. Yet another stain on our history. But yet, you can have that conversation. You can make that criticism in these in these countries, and thankfully, the, the owners of you know of of, of my particular club. Are from that background whereas you know Vladimir Vladimir Putin during that kind of early spell of the where the oligarchs were becoming more and more uh, prominent was initially quite um, uh, kind of open and, and relaxed about them and you know seemed happy that they were sort of you know succeeding and spreading Russian influence around the world but then he started to take an increasingly firm grip and remove assets and start attacking people. I mean, sometimes literally attacking people with all sorts of, uh, you know, awful methods, um, who weren't sort of toeing the line or who he saw as a threat to his power. Roman Abramovich has never been attacked by Vladimir Putin in any sense. So you have to really ask yourself why that is, and it must be because he's a he's a genuine ally of his. That can be the only explanation, because others have been. Uh, slung in jail had their money or their property taken away from them been poisoned shot in the street whatever and Abramovich has breezed through the last 20 years and really has uh, towed the line and the fact that he is now trying to flog his football club and flog his his Western property and get his money sorted as, as soon as possible demonstrates that he is very aware that he's got Putin's stain over everything he owns and everything he ever has owned and is in massive danger of having his assets frozen. So he's trying to, you know, uh, uh, induct all these, these fire sales before that happens. And you kind of look at that and you think, well, okay, so how long is it going to be until I mean, you Saudi Arabia have been bombing the shit out of innocent people in Yemen for the best part of a decade. And you look at that and you think, well, how long is it going to be until something then, you know, it, it, it's difficult to imagine, but even more scandalous involving the Saudi Arabians takes place. And, um, hold on, just pause one second, Matt. Is my mic on? Now, you wouldn't be able to hear me, would you? Yeah, yeah. If my mic...
1: So t- t- I can hear that. Okay, I can fine. Hear
0: that. It's just my, my thing isn't going up and down like it normally does. Okay, fine. Uh, where was I? Saudi Arabia. Yes, yeah, so you've you've essentially got a regime now who are, who, are, who are potentially the, making Newcastle United the richest football club in the world. Who are oppressors of women's rights, of uh, rights of LGBTQ plus uh, people, and um, you know, kind of overseeing regimes where you know. Homosexuality or displays of homosexuality are punishable by the death penalty, even if that is only theoretical. Same with uh, the Abu Dhabi group who own Manchester City. You know, the Middle East is... All, I mean, that's why, you know, I've always been one of these people who personally, I'm not judging those that do, but I personally wouldn't go and take the coin... Uh, Even if it is tax free from those regimes, because I think what, you know, you have to really flush your morals down the toilet and say, OK, you know, don't care really what impact that's having on the migrant workers or the, you know, the indigenous people of those countries or what barbaric regimes you're propping up by going and, you know, living a life in a nice fancy hotel. Good for you, brilliant. Well done. I'm sure it looks great on Instagram. But you know, what are you by going and legitimising that? What are you supporting? You know, good. You know, good luck putting your head on the pillow at night and fine. Um, but so it is. It, it really is an insight into the danger now of of those investments and the way the kind of wild west environment of uh, of, of Premier League clubs, the way in which they're bought and sold, and how how quickly it can disintegrate. You know, I think people again have looked at Chelsea over the last twenty years and thought they're so powerful and so rich now that they're kind of uh, untouchable and they're, they're, they're going to be this bastion of, of of success that's going to go on forever. And Abramovich will have invested his money in such a way that that, uh, that even after he's gone, that will. But that's clearly because you know. When he, when his illegitimately acquired money is all of a sudden being investigated, and the regime that has supported him is all of a sudden, you know, the pariah of the world, then oh, you know, shit! It's like the last helicopter out of Saigon, trying to get the fuck out quickly before all his ill gotten gains are are um, are seized from him, and you know, squirming like rats out of a sewer, and it just it really is a I think quite a, a fascinating and um, prescient insight into the problems that other clubs could could face as well. But aside from specifically Chelsea, obviously you've now seen FIFA and their their kind of actions over the last uh few days which is I think you could if you were being kind call it spineless. Um and I want I want to go again to Gianni Infantino who we we I had to go out a few weeks ago when he made uh, his comments about how uh, doing a World Cup every two years would uh, lessen the uh, chances of uh, uh, desperate migrants drowning in the English Channel because if there was a World Cup every two years, more poor countries would have the opportunity to host it and they therefore wouldn't have to leave those countries because those countries would, would develop more quickly as a, as, a, as a result of hosting a World Cup. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it was one of the most shameful attempts at legitimising his own uh, argument Awful argument, by the way, um, in uh, in using kind of you know desperate human rights issues to do so. Um, and in any normal organization, he would be fired for that. He would be fired for uh, the fact that um, this two-year World Cup thing that he's staked his reputation is now very obviously dying. Uh, they're trying to make it as subtle as possible, and it's not going to work. It's going to die. Uh, they'll make you know try and make it like a private death. But his reaction to Russia... Bear in mind, this is a man who's who, who received a, a, a gold medal from Vladimir Putin in 2019 uh, called the Order of Friendship between himself personally, not FIFA, him personally, and Vladimir Putin's regime for uh, all, all the support in, in allowing that, that uh, country to host the 2018 World Cup. Now, he has, you know... Given the go-ahead for Russia now essentially to be banned from men's and women's football, the women's team will not be able to take part in the women's Euros this summer and the men's team are not going to be able to take part in World Cup qualifiers. But why is he doing that? It's not because that was the stand he was going to take. It's not because he's a, a strong and decisive leader, able to look despots in the eye and say, no, you're not taking part in our sport. No. It's because the Polish FA individually, as an individual member of FIFA had the backbone to say we're playing Russia in a World Cup qualifying match two leg playoff in a few weeks time well we are not taking part in that fixture regardless of the consequences it's up to you you can either chuck them out or you can chuck us out but we're not playing them because there are some things that are more important they and then at, at, and and the winners of that match by the way will play either Sweden or Czech Republic those two uh, individual FAs went down exactly the same line and backed it up. FIFA then attempted to use their IOC style fudge when it said, OK, well, they can compete without the national flag, without a national anthem and under a, a kind of neutral bullshit banner, which, again, the, 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 the Poles, the Swedes and the Czechs completely rejected and said, that's a fudge. We're I don't care what you call them. We're not playing them. They've just gone and invaded uh, a democratically uh, elected uh, country, a neighbour of theirs, in an unprovoked attack, and are committing human rights abuses. So only at that stage then did FIFA say, "Okay, yeah, they can't, they can't play." And it just goes to show what a lily-livered, corrupt, pathetic excuse of an organisation they are and how they just, it just... You know, for a game, the most loved sport in the world by some considerable distance is just run by the least desirable and the least worthy people imaginable, you know. It's uh, it's almost like a, a, a microcosm of uh, the United Kingdom over the last three or four years. Um, but I couldn't possibly comment on that. Um, I mean, Matt... You, yeah. Oh, and another. I guess another thing as well is, is 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 sponsorship. Really, you look at the way that the Champions League has been receiving forty million quid a year from Gazprom since twenty twelve, to be like the, the headline sponsor. You know, every time you watch TV coverage of any Champions League, there is this uh, uh, dramatic. Uh, put to the you know classical music kind of intro of Gazprom and they have logos everywhere and there's this beautiful looking stadium and everything and selling the dream and you know that's a that's essentially a Russian state uh, uh gas company that is now being used to try and unduly influence and and uh blackmail western countries into not carrying out uh, sanctions against Putin so you know uh, again, you've got to ask yourself, what are they doing taking money from those types of organisations in the first place? What are Schalke doing with that logo all over their shirt for goodness knows how long? They've had that sponsorship for a very long time. So really, there are some lessons to be learned. I'm sure they won't be because they never are. But on, on the modelling of football and how you know, they really have to ask themselves, what is more important? Profit at all costs. Or actually asking serious questions about with whom you align yourself and uh, and uh, who you who you take your money from and how you're able to build such a um, successful and strong and popular product. Um, sport is unimportant in a situation like this, but at the same time, if you're if you're a dictator, which essentially Putin is, because all the elections are fixed and he's been in power longer than initially the constitution allowed him to be, um, and the constitution that he then amended for his own ends. Um, but what sport does is when you are a dictator like Putin and you... Um, instruct your forces you in fact there's even evidence isn't there that he's, he's not even been truthful with his own forces all this bullshit and propaganda about we're doing it to protect uh, ourselves and 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 um, to save the ukrainians and all i genuinely believe that there are russian troops who've gone in there who believe that that's what they're doing and they were going to be welcomed and it's it's kind of a slightly scaled down version of like north korea whereas if you are literally just bombarded with the the same old you know deranged propaganda every day and when you're when you're hearing your your commander in chief saying that uh, the you need to go into Ukraine in order to denazify it, I mean, I mean that's of all the things the crazy shit he's been coming out with, that has to be right up there. But so insulting as well, you know. So is a Jew, you know. To 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 associate him in any way, shape, or form with Nazism is is beyond disgraceful. Um, and he's called what does he calls them? illegitimate and corrupt and all these things, and you know. Um, so then because there's one thing we we all know about Vladimir Putin that is that he is definitely the savior of any nation from corruption and illegitimacy <laughs> you know he's the he's the bastion of <laughs> virtue um but the one the problem with acting in that way is that's all very well when you're like the strong man and everyone's terrified of you but you're not going to have people's hearts on board and you're not no one's convinced to go with you and so that's where sport comes into its own actually because what do people what occupies you know the, the famous phrase of sport being an unimportant you know football specifically being an unimportant thing but the most important of the unimportant things in life and when all of a sudden the russian national team can't compete in national competitions that are still going on without them not hardly noticing they're not there when you know russian uh, leading football clubs are dumped out of competitions uh, like, the, you know, Spartak Moscow in the Europa League that they haven't actually been knocked out of yet, gone and not allowed to compete for the foreseeable future. When athletes who have devoted their entire lives to the pursuit of excellence in their chosen discipline are out. When Formula One and all sorts of other sporting events that you're due to host in your country that are worth millions of pounds to your economy are gone. And no prospects of them returning. Those types of things do have an impact. It won't bring down a regime, but it will add to the trickle effect of turning the people against you and increasing the likelihood that you're, you know, they are going to run out of patience and and there'll be there will be a piece of straw essentially that will break that camel's back. Um. But yeah, so the I mean, and obviously the the the, the other short term impacts, and, and and this is, I mean, you know. This is really almost a very insensitive point, really. But you know, I was very uncomfortable all along uh, with the prospect of should Liverpool reach the Champions League final this year. You know, and it's, there's still a long way to go. But if they were to do so, um, that that final being in Saint Petersburg, and I had kind of semi decided to myself that um, I I would be unlikely to go, just through slight distastefulness of it, and you know, just and this was long before. The invasion of Ukraine. I just, I just thought it doesn't sit right. It just feels again like you're pandering to this this guy. Who, you know, you can't on one hand, you know, condemn him poisoning innocent people in in in, in on British soil in Salisbury, and and uh, and then and then just jump on a flight and go and spend rubles in it to help his economy. Um, but the fact that that's been taken away uh, as well is is you know. Frankly, of of great benefit to anyone who would be going to the game. Um, And, you know, Paris is a a much better option. But that is clearly, I'm not suggesting for one second that that's a, oh, thank goodness something's good to come out of this. But you know what I mean? Like, it's, uh, I'm just, I'm glad that he doesn't get to host host that match and to have his horrible plastic uh, reformed face, uh, uh, you know, all over the TV screen sitting up in the stands for a sport that allegedly he doesn't even have any time for, anyway, or particularly understand or like. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I mean it's 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 really interesting how, you know, I think sport for a time really tried to move away uh, during the boycott of the Olympics. I think that was a real low point. And mm. well, you know, the early eighties boycott. Yeah, yeah. So when uh, you know the Western Western powers boycotted uh, Moscow in.
0: It was yeah. only America, though, oh, you wasn't you it? Because we, we still went. Oh, is it America? I think I think America boycotted Moscow in 80, and then the, the Soviets boycotted LA in 84. Yeah. So you had two yeah, yeah, yeah. successive Olympics where the most prominent and powerful sporting nations at that time boycotted each other's games. Yeah. So like 50% think, of the world-class athletes was, weren't there.
1: Yeah. Well, that's... Yeah. And so I think there was a sense of, like, we cannot go down that. We have to maintain sport neutrality at all costs to ensure... You know, competition is, is you know, of a sporting kind is, is kind of what it should be. But I th- it's just, yeah, to, But but then you allow, as you referred at the start, just to you know a complete deregulation of, uh, of 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 the infrastructures and the organisation that support these yeah. sporting events. Absolutely. And you end up with a you know sowing the seeds of what is now you know quite regular sports washing to sort of you mm-hmm. know legitimize um regimes i, t- I was listening to t- well i sort of read about thomas Tuchel and and in one sense i felt quite sorry for him i mean yes he just wants to be a football manager exactly but in the other way, in the other way i'm like well if i if i was working for an oil giant or a tobacco company you know, and somebody then challenged me as to, well, hang on, you're you're getting paid to work for, you know, these fairly amoral uh, sort of organisations. Shouldn't shouldn't I know a little bit more about it? And and I think that's so. I think he was right to say, look, this is beyond my under, you know, beyond kind of what my remit. But I think he could have possibly said, this is a failure of the Premier League to put me in a position. Where am I I'm ha- having to effectively kind of uh pledge my allegiance or some sort of loyalty to a to to the the boss of uh of the owner of uh Chelsea. And I shouldn't be in that situation. It's it's a complete failure of due diligence yeah. that has meant that i yeah, now question about But I'd
0: go even one step back from that and say that Yes, it is a, fav- a failure of Premier League regulation in terms of ownership, but it, it, it's also a demonstration of how, in football, when when you get these these controversial takeovers, and there was a lot of controversy. People were pointing out the truth when Abramovich first took over, and a lot of people just buried their head in the sand and didn't want to hear it. And those that have been banging on about it for twenty years have been called sort of you know bitter and bad losers, and you know, um, and even some Chelsea fans, you know, have have been uncomfortable with it and kind of distanced themselves from the clubs despite all the success that would be tempting them to come back in. So fair play to those that have done that. Um, But no, I'd say even go a step back from that. It's a demonstration of how football you get after that noise has settled down just quickly forgets and just focuses then on on the, the sort of sporting realities and the fact is that there's no doubt and over the last 20 years in the Abramovich era the Chelsea job has been one of the most sought after jobs probably because it pays better than the 99.9% of all our, all management jobs in world football some of the best managers of all time have have walked through those doors uh you know in in that period um so it's not Tuchel just happens to be the custodian now but you know you know Lampard, Mourinho, Ancelotti, Scolari, Di Matteo—you know, every, everyone. V.S. Both, every, you know, everyone's had that bloody job. Um, so that, and so, I do, I do feel, and I actually think Thomas Tuchel is a thoroughly decent individual, actually. So you know, mm, I, I do, yeah. I do, I do feel sorry for it. It's not, it's not his fault that in 2003 the Premier League gave a green light to a uh, a man with all gotten gains, a you know, billionaire to just walk in and buy. Uh, historic football club, and it is a historic football club. I, I know some people that they like to make cheap points about. Are you only, you know? Yes, all right. They weren't winning league titles before, um, before the, the the Russian money came along. But they still were, you know, a decent sized and above average sized English football club who were going through a period where they're actually, you know, from the late nineties, they won a few trophies. They won a Cup Winners' Cup and a FA Cup or two. So you know that, but. There is no doubt, you know, you can take your partisan loyalties out, of this, but there is no doubt that they wouldn't be where they are now, sitting with two Champions Leagues and what six or seven league titles in that period of time, that uh, had they not been bankrolled by a, uh, a you know, a, a dodgy billionaire. But mm, there you go. Mm. Oh, and, and one other thing I would say as well about the um, when we talk about the politics and sport uh, kind of overlap thing, and 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 I, I do think it is true that the fudge. That the, um, that the IOC have, have made over recent years where they're allowing Russian athletes to compete in Olympic Games and Paralympic Games under the banner of the Russian Olympic Federation. That doesn't really convince anyone. It, the Russians still celebrate it like it's a Russian win. And that was a punishment for state sponsored doping on a scale not seen since the East Germans in the sort of, you know, pre the Iron Curtain uh, days and in fact it was it was it was i think more sophisticated than anything that had ever uh, been seen before they were taking child urine to replace with you know with infected uh, sorry uh, sort of doped up uh, athletes urine so you know i think that 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 just demonstrates that it's not enough just to kind of you know just say punish the make the punishment related to what's going on in the sport because they've they've attempted to do that and you know you don't want to make. I'm, you know, Russia is an amazing country, and I'm sure that I, I have great sympathy with the majority of the population who are probably as against this as everyone else is. But in situations like this, unfortunately, there's no way around it. There's going to be some uh, innocent victims whose sporting careers are going to be damaged and undermined because of the where they're from, and it's it's horrible. It's sad, mm-hmm. but it's. It, I think it's unavoidable.
1: So, so no, I do think it's right that the Russian football teams are banned, and, and I also thought that the Paralympics um, committee should have banned. I agree. Russian, um, I agree with that. But and and I was thinking, but it is awful. It's absolutely awful that. Um, and and also, I think it would have been too far. There was some sort of talk about, you know, there was a there was a, a Russian hockey player who um, had kind of come out and you know not not playing for Russia he plays in the NHL um and uh, i think somebody had said that you know that the the NHL should withdraw all russian contracts and i think no, that's that. wrong because then then you're effectively just purporting, you know uh, a racist agenda exactly is
0: sort of, yeah like, exactly and you're not yeah exactly but, and and, and, so, and also imagine so, being judged imagine being judged overseas by the conduct of your own government. I mean, I could not yeah. oppose the government in the UK more if I, if I, I'd burst if I, if I despise them any more than I do. I hate everything yeah. about them. I hate what they stand for. I hate their party. I hate their conduct. I hate the lies, the way they've denigrated behaviour in public office, the way that they have. Um, a normalized uh, sort of mistruths, truth twisting uh, their conduct during Covid and more than anything else, Brexit and the lies that that was built on. Imagine being, you know, successful in any field of the world of work and taking your talents, uh, uh, you know, kind of around the world and then being told, no, you can't do that because your arsehole of a prime minister has, uh, you know, uh, implemented some dodgy policy on, you know, unsympathetic towards Syrian refugees or something like that, it would be outrageous because, you know, I'm sure um, that, that most people in Russia probably are, are, are way more passionately opposed to Putin than we could ever possibly be because they're living yeah. with it every day.
1: But then I think, um, well, how about those athletes who whose main source of funding is not necessarily through football or ice hockey or whatever it is, they haven't got a trade team as such, but but it is the Olympic movement, you know, the, yes. the Olympic Games. If that is their main... Then I was thinking, well, maybe you could just sort of abandon um, all sort of nationality requirements of Russian athletes and just allow them to go to any sort of uh, national sporting organisation. Well, American yeah, that's right, because the distinction to
0: has to be whether or not just, you're, you happen to be Russian or whether you are competing for Russia. And that's the difference, isn't
1: because yeah, so, I do... Uh, I think I think the fudge of the ROC has hasn't worked. It I hasn't worked. It has, but what yeah. they could
0: do is compete and, as refugees. There's a refugee team, isn't there, in the Olympics? And so that there is precedent yeah, there for that. Is. So they could essentially renounce their yeah. citizenship for the time being, or or however long it, it takes, mm, or they yeah. individually decide to do and compete on that basis. Yeah. 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 No, I think I think yeah, that's it. So. Clearly, you know, an uncharacteristically earnest uh, podcast there with some, you know quite meaty uh subjects to discuss but that that is what it is we are adaptable you know if we're gonna if we're gonna push this podcast to be the world leader that we know it can be you know we have to (laughs) tackle we have to tackle the big turkeys we can't just spend all our time you know messing around in the in the shallow water we have to go we have to go big don't we matthew and we've we've gone big there i'm sure that that is the best quality debate on Uh, the impact of sport (laughs) um, that's been had on any platform across the world in the last uh, seven days. Would you agree? (laughs) Undoubtedly. Undoubtedly, indeed. Okay. (laughs) So on that note, if I was uh, prepared and literate, I would say whatever the Ukrainian term is for uh, take care and have a good week. But uh, I'm not any of those things. So uh, goodbye. Big love to Ukraine and see you next week.